Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. We delayed this week's show from its usual midweek release so that we could cover Monday's national championship game and last night's Frozen Four matchup with Notre Dame. It's been a, both an exhilarating and a heartbreaking week for both teams and, yes, the fans. Great runs by both teams have come to an end and in defeat. In just a minute, we'll recap Monday's loss to Villanova with beat writer James Hawkins from the Detroit News. But first, a few news and notes to get us started. The Michigan hockey team's Cinderella run is over. With a dramatic goal from Notre Dame forward Jake Evans with 5.2 seconds remaining in regulation of their Frozen Four semifinal last night, the second-seeded Wolverines fell to top-seed Fighting Irish 4-3, abruptly ending our season. A game that seemed a certainty to extend to overtime quickly ended when Notre Dame's Cam Morrison led a final rush full speed down the left flank centering the puck in front of the net where Evans outmuscled Michigan's outstanding freshman Quinn Hughes to push it five-hole past goaltender Hayden Levine. In what left the Wolverine players stunned and in tears, the shocking tally advances Notre Dame to Saturday's national championship game against Minnesota Duluth at 7.30 p.m. on ESPN. They beat Ohio State in the earlier semifinal 2-1. The late regulation goal has Notre Dame one game from its first hockey title. I'm extremely proud of our team, especially our seniors, Coach Mel Pearson said. I thought as the game wore on there, we were starting to play. We finally started to play, and unfortunately, it was a bad bounce there at the end. It was a great run. Congratulations to Coach Mel Pearson and the boys. This is a very young team, and the future is bright. The future is equally bright for Michigan hoops, although it might not feel that way right now. It's never easy to say, at least we made it to the Final Four and the national championship game, but we lost. You never know when or if you're going to be back. And I think the passing of time will allow us to look back on this season and realize what fun it was to watch this team. And under the direction of a great coach and leader, it really was a team. Of course, I wanted this one for me and for us, the fans, but especially for Coach B. But it didn't take long for me to realize we were up against a buzzsaw on Monday night. Villanova was as good and deep a team as I've seen in a long time. It wasn't that we didn't play well, it's that they were that good. James Hawkins joins me next with his thoughts on the game, the season, and much more. Here on The Michigan Man, on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Back with us on our game day segment to talk about, you guessed it, the national championship game and, of course, the season is beat writer James Hawkins from the Detroit News. Great to have you back again, James. Thanks for having me again, Mike. You know, James, watching it on on Monday, as soon as the game ended, I thought to myself, you know, there's no shame in losing the national championship game, especially to a team like that. Villanova is one great team, aren't they? Yeah, no, definitely. I think... um... I mean, I think Michigan just kind of ran into an offensive buzzsaw there. I mean, if you if you kind of look at what Villanova did throughout the uh, NCAA tournament, I mean, they were only the fifth team, I believe, to to win every 
every NCAA tournament game by double digits. And, um, I mean, yeah, it was just kind of the ultimate test for Michigan. I mean, they, Michigan's offense was kind of, you know, it was kind of in, inconsistent throughout the tournament besides that, uh, Texas A&M game. Um, but it was really, it was really the ultimate test for Michigan's defense. Um, you know, going up against the, you know, the nation's, uh, top offense. I mean, doing over rank, you know, number one in the nation scoring offense and then, uh, offensive efficiency and, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, you look at Villanova's roster, they just have, you know, five, six guys who are capable of scoring 20 points, you know, going off at any point. And we saw that that one guy was uh, Dante DiVincenzo for uh, for Villanova mm-hmm. that they really just uh, couldn't stop. He just had the game of his life, you know, scoring a career-high 31 points and just knocking down absurd shots, you know, three-pointers from well beyond well beyond the arc. And But, yeah, definitely, I mean, there's, there's nothing for – uh, you know, Michigan hanging their head about. I mean, honestly, who who would have thought that they would have, uh, you know, made it to the the national title game heading into the season? I mean, they, you know, they go from unranked uh, beginning of the season, you know, um, to make it all the way to this point. Yeah, I mean, there's there, there's definitely nothing for them to uh, hang their head about because I I think there's without a doubt they've uh, I don't even think I don't even think they exceeded expectations. I think they pretty much shattered it um, this season, setting the program record. You know, 33 wins, winning another Big Ten tournament title, and then, you know, just reaching the the national title game for only the seventh time in a program history. I think it's uh, it's definitely a season well worth remembering. And I know fans are were disappointed Monday night, are still disappointed, uh, but leave it to Coach B to uh, you know put things and keep things in perspective for everyone. I was uh, watching an interview with him on Tuesday, uh, and he said that Michigan had to play perfectly, uh, and even if they did that. He's not sure they could have beaten Villanova. I have to say, I agree with uh, with Coach. The way that the offense, the Michigan offense, was playing in the tournament, you knew we had to see something much better on Monday, or, or it was going to be a problem. Oh, definitely. I mean, it was it was kind of one of those things where you felt like Michigan had to kind of catch lightning in a bottle again, like with that Texas A&M game. I mean, I mean, if you look at it, I mean, they they did not shoot well at all from three point range in that game. I mean, they finished three for twenty three, and um, I mean, if they just you know made a couple like you know you know, half those misses or something like that. I mean, if they just made a couple more, I mean, it would have been a, a closer game throughout throughout that game. But, but, yeah, that was just something they they struggled with throughout the tournament. I mean, they didn't shoot well. I mean, for the, the, the tournament overall, they only shot, you know, 28.7% from three-point range, which just wasn't going to be able to get it done. I mean, their offense just kind of was lagging throughout. I mean, they were, like I said, they were just kind of able to grind through most of those games and lean on their defense. But, yeah, this was definitely – a game where they were going to need to have their offense, you know, kind of pick it, pick it up if they were going to win it. And I mean, it's still, they still have Villanova to 79 points, which is still a, you know, an accomplishment, I guess. But if you look at what Villanova was able to do throughout the season and throughout the tournament, they definitely needed more shooting, which, you know, was just kind of wasn't there for them throughout the entire NCAA tournament. And then um, it kind of just that inconsistency, inconsistency just kind of caught up with them at the, uh, at the worst time. Well, it was uh, just an incredible run. And for you, James, was this the uh, the first time you've covered or been to the Final Four? Yeah, definitely. This was only my uh, second season covering the team. So, yeah, I got I got that. Uh, I guess I checked that off the list uh, pretty early <laughs> in my uh, in my career covering this team. Well, how incredible on the Final Four weekend was that environment in San Antonio? It was unlike anything, um, unlike any other experience I've I've experienced. I mean, just going through. Uh, just the warm-ups and then you know the the national anthem and the and all the pregame stuff. It, 
I mean, just during the, the starting the starting lineup introductions, I mean, my seat was like vibrating the entire time. I mean, there was just the energy was just like unlike anything else. I mean, there was, I mean, you could feel it. Like, I mean, you could feel the energy. I mean, just just sitting there as a writer. I mean, it was it was quite the incredible experience. And even just looking up and looking out and seeing just how you know just the sea of people, you know, just just how huge the Elmo Dome was and just uh, just that stage itself. I mean, it was. It was incredible, and it was uh, unlike anything I've ever experienced. It definitely doesn't do it justice watching it on TV. It's definitely one of those things when you're when you're kind of in there and you see it and you're experiencing it live. I mean, it's 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 just it's incredible. It's unlike any other environment I've been a part of. Yeah, well, it looked pretty impressive on TV, also. But uh, the TV guys, especially Grant Hill, kept mentioning this, uh, talking about how uh, tough it was to shoot in the Alamo Dome because of the sight lines. Do you like that big stadium setting for a game of that magnitude? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think a lot of the players thought it was, you know, thought that that it made it difficult um, as far as shooting, um, that it like you know really affected them. But um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, me personally, I mean, I don't, I don't care really where they play. I mean, I guess it's more so, more so what the players prefer. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't have a problem with them playing in a in a big stage like that. I guess it's it's an adjustment for, for the players more so, but, um, yeah, I mean, I guess I think most players, I mean, it's like, I mean, once you get to that point, once you get to the final four, I don't, I think they'll play wherever they got to play. I think they'll probably play in a parking lot for uh, for all that matters. But, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I just think, I don't think the players really had a a problem adjusting. I think, um, I was watching one of the pregame things. I think they asked Spike Albrecht about that, you know, adjusting to that. And he said, it's kind of, it kind of helps once, you know, all the people's kind of fill in. It doesn't, you know, it kind of really doesn't make it that big of a deal, like adjusting to the uh, the sight mm-hmm. lines and you know having to shoot in a in a big open arena like that. But, um, but yeah, I think I think the players would probably play wherever it is, and um, I, I don't have a I don't have a you know a problem with them playing wherever uh, in a big dome like that either. Now, Villanova didn't have any problem uh, finding the rim either, did they? So I I don't know how much it no. didn't affect them at all. No, not at all. Well, when you and I started talking in December, uh, James, when the season was just getting underway, it, it was about what a work in progress this Michigan team was. And at least I wondered, would they even make the tournament? I think a lot of us wondered that. But once again, uh, even even if you're an, an impartial reporter covering the team, you have to admit, Coach Beeline proved again what an outstanding coach he is, didn't he? Yeah, definitely. I mean, he the one thing he was asked about, you know, following the game is like, I guess, what was, what was he most proud of with this team? And it was just how how connected and how this team was just, they just continued to grow after each and every game. And I mean, that's, that's what they did. I mean, if you look, he mentioned, you know, early on in non-conference season, he was talking about like the games against like central Michigan and North Florida and Southern Miss. He was talking about how they, they trailed at, at, at a certain point in those games. And I mean, those are, those are not teams like Villanova, you know, in the, <laughs> in the championship game. But I mean, it was just a team that was committed to, to growing and getting better each and every day. And I think, if you look at, I guess if there's one player that really embodied that. I mean, if you just look at what Charles Matthews did the last the last month of the season, really, really throughout the NCAA tournament. I mean, he kind of he kind of had a great start to the season, then he kind of hit a rough patch in the in Big Ten play. But then he really kind of showcased his growth and just you know what it what it you know kind of what can happen when a, a guy just continues to develop and get better. I mean, because throughout the tournament he was he was Michigan's best player through up until that the um the championship game against Villanova but I mean yeah it was just it was just a like you know constant they they always talk about the 
you know, they have to have a mind, uh, growth mindset and that just, I mean, that's, they all bought into that and they just, they just showed, I mean, what can, what can really happen when, you know, a team is, is committed to that and, and is connected and they really showed, I mean, what a team is capable of doing when they, uh, you know, are committed to playing as a group. Cause I mean, granted, you know, Michigan didn't have any, you know, preseason all Americans, any consensus, consensus first round draft picks or, or anything like that. I mean, Mo Wagner's, you know, they're, you know, their top guy and he's, you know, what a projected what, mid, mid, late second round draft pick. So, I mean, it just shows you what this, what this team was capable of doing. I mean, it was one of these things where, you know, they needed every single piece. Every, every guy was a piece of the puzzle and they needed everyone to, to, to make it this far. You just hit on it, James. I mean, that's to me what makes this season so special and the tournament run even more impressive. They were so well coached, obviously. Uh, and they had become a team in every sense of the word because, you know, I think they had played a lot of teams during the regular season and in the tournament that had more talent than them, but they did epitomize what a team is and what you can do when you work together. Definitely, yeah. I mean, it, it was one of these teams, I mean, like they didn't, nobody cared about who was, you know, scoring for them. No one cared who was the leading scorer. Um, I mean, if you just look back to the, you know, just look back to Michigan's uh, most recent, you know, team that made it to the national title game, that 2013 team, I mean, that team was loaded with talent i mean but i mean you just look at that team and then you look at this team and you're just like it's just like <laughs> the talent difference is just uh there's quite a gap in the talent difference there but but yeah this team it was just there's just no you know any of any of the guys they'll they'll, they'll tell you i mean there's just no like you know there's no egos there was no no selfishness with this team it was really the you know one of the keys to their success was their selflessness i mean that they just i mean they didn't care i mean all they cared about was was succeeding and competing, you know, every, you know, every game for 40 minutes. I mean, it, there was nobody, nobody cared about, you know, being, being the guy to step into the spotlight. It was just, I mean, I mean, they were just all willing to, to, you know, do whatever it took to get the job done. I mean, you kind of look at like, you know, guys like Isaiah Livers. I mean, he was in the starting lineup, but then he was only playing, you know, 10 minutes a game, but I don't think he cared, you know, giving way to Duncan Robinson to come in and play 20 minutes. You know, if, I mean, it's just one of those things where, I mean, no one, I mean, everyone was just willing to do whatever it took to get to this, uh, you know, to that mm-hmm. stage. I mean, they sacrificed, you know, stats, whatever. I mean, none of, nobody cared. They're just willing to do whatever it took to uh, try to win that title. With us on our game day segment this week as we take a final look back at the national championship game and, of course, just a, an incredible season is beat writer James Hawkins from the Detroit News. James, you were there this season every step of the way covering uh, this team. Was there a certain time of the season, a certain game even, that you thought to yourself, uh, hey, this team might be better than we expected, maybe even something special? Um, I think you, you might have been able to get that sense. I think when they beat Michigan State at Michigan State, I think there was kind of a sense, because we know that was the huge rivalry game, and obviously State was out for revenge, because after that, that last meeting last season was when Michigan just crushed them at home. Um, so I think that was the sense we kind of thought where maybe there's there was something this team was capable of doing uh, doing this, but I think it really it really kind of hit in the uh, in the Big Ten tournament when they started beating all these like they beat Nebraska when Nebraska was playing for its life. I mean, you would have thought that Michigan was the team that was playing for its NCAA tournament life when they just kind of they kind of whooped them and then then they followed it up with the win over Michigan State in the semifinals and then when they beat Purdue in the in the Big Ten tournament uh, title game, I think that for me is when I felt like this team was kind of capable of making a run in the tournament. Um, and granted, I mean, a lot of people harped on 
the whole fact that Michigan had an easy pass and they didn't play uh, any team higher than a five seed until the final. I mean, but I mean, Michigan can't control its pass. I mean, they can only control what's in front of them uh, when it comes to that. But, um, but I guess like, yeah, like I said, like looking during the season, I think that state game was kind of one that kind of raised some eyebrows and opened some eyes that the team was, you know, wasn't anything to take lightly. But I think for me, as far as watching this, I think it really took shape in the, in the big 10 tournament when, I mean, they beat, like I said, when they beat Nebraska, who was needed that win. I mean, they were like, they needed that win to get to the tournament. And then they followed that up with, you know, two beating two teams that were maybe top, at least top 10 teams, you know, in Michigan State Purdue. I think that's when I kind of felt like this team was kind of capable of making a, another, you know, deep push into the NCAA tournament. Well, you know, James, in our culture, uh, a lot, our sports culture, especially a lot of fans uh, would say, if you don't win at all, it might be a good year, but it's not a great year. And I think that's sad in so many ways, so many levels, because, you know, even though Michigan fell short by one game, I think in so many ways, it's, it's fair to call this a great season for Michigan. Right. I mean, I think if you told most fans with this team, I mean, if you if you look back at who they lost, I mean, when they lost, like, you know, DJ Wilson, Derek Walton, Zach Irvin, I mean, they lost, what, three of their top five scorers, three of their top four scorers. I mean, if you told, mm-hmm. told Michigan fans before the season, hey, this team is going to make it to the national final and they're going to be trailing by what was it, seven or nine points at halftime? I think I think most teams or most fans would have uh, would have taken that. I mean, I mean, look, yeah, they're hanging they're hanging two more banners. They got another Big Ten tournament title. They uh, they're going to hang a Final Four banner when they uh, you know next season at, at Chrysler Center. I mean, yeah, there's definitely there's no way the season was a dispo- disappointment at all. I mean, like I said, I mean, looking before the season, I mean, no one no one was talking about Michigan. No one had Michigan ranked. No one no one thought Michigan was going to do anything. So I mean. Like I said earlier, I think they, I don't think they just exceeded expectations. I think they shattered them this season, like with this group. I mean, they had, you know, you know, a freshman Isaiah Livers moving to the starting lineup. You know, they had Jordan Poole like playing, you know, key key minutes and uh, key points in games. I mean, it was, they just had everything kind of came together, you know, finally at a certain point. But, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's no way this was, this was anything short of a great season. I mean, I don't, I don't think most people, you know, expected them to accomplish what they accomplished, which I think that, you know, kind of speaks volumes to what this, what this team was actually able to do and, uh, and the job that uh, John Bannon was able to do this season. Well, by Tuesday morning, I was already seeing the stories about Mo and Charles Matthews having decisions to make, of course, uh, in the coming weeks about staying or leaving. Your thoughts on both of those guys and their future, James? Yeah, I think if if you'd asked me about about Mo before the postseason started, like before the NCAA tournament, I would have, I would have been, I would have been sold on him going. Um, I mean, I I think that Mo is definitely going to declare for the draft. Um, just to just to get go through that evaluation process again. But I mean, if you asked me before the postseason started, I would have I would have been leery about it just because I didn't think he had the the greatest of season. But then now you look at the the postseason he had a couple big games. I mean he had the he had the big game against uh, Loyola Chicago. I mean he had a another big game against Texas A and M. Um so I think he's definitely he's definitely gonna declare and at this point I don't know, like it's it's really it's really down to what he wants to do because I remember last season when we talked to him about it, he he talked about how he doesn't want to be one of these guys who kind of goes to the NBA or he leaves and he just ends up staying in the you know, in the D league or the G league. And, you know, he kind of has to work through that way. 
Um, but like I said, I think most most projections have him as kind of that that mid to late second round pick, which is I think last season he was I think he was maybe a high second round draft pick mm-hmm. at at this point. Um, so I don't think his stock has really improved at all. Um, I mean, granted, he can he can help himself with you know the workouts that they have, and and, and you know if he gets invited to the combine, which I think he will, um, he can definitely help his stock. Um, but it's one of those. It's another thing on the other flip side too, where it's you, you, there's never a guarantee that his stock's going to get any higher than it is now. And it's one of those things where he might just be the player he is. He might not get you know any better. I mean, this just might be who he is as a player. Um, so it's kind of a, a double-edged sword with him. And at this point, I think it's. I, I guess I'll give it a 60-40 split as far as him leaving. I'm not. I'm not completely sold. I think it just depends on. I guess what he's told and I guess the feedback he gets, um, you know, if he gets like mixed reviews, I guess he might, you know, contemplate coming back. Um, but then again, if that happens, Michigan would have, uh, you know, with their, they'd be over a scholarship. So John Bielan would have a decision to make and, and have to kind of clear up some room. Um, but then Charles Matthews, um, I mean, yeah, he's another NBA prospect. I think he will, I think he'll declare for the draft too and, and, and kind of dip his toes in the waters and, I don't have any problem with that. I don't. I think fans get worked up about that stuff. They think that they're going to leave, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. I mean, they. It's. I think it's good for them to get feedback and you know to to uh, hear from teams about what they need to improve, what they need to do better. So I expect him to go through that process as well. But I do not. I think that he will be coming back. Um, but I think he'll declare without an agent and then just kind of you know go through that and get that experience, which I think will be uh, valuable to him. But I think. I mean, obviously, of the two, I think um, Mo is more than likely to leave. But I think that's kind of a – I think he's more than more likely to go, I guess, if you ask me if he's – you know, if, if I had to pick a way, I think I guess he would be more likely to leave. Um, and as far as Charles, I think Charles will be back. But I think, like I said, I think he'll declare without an agent just to, just to kind of go through that process and kind of get, a, get that feedback that will, that will serve him well and help him, you know, heading into next season. Well, for what it's worth, I personally think Mo should stay. Uh, uh, it's going to be a big decision for him. But Matthews, I think, definitely needs to stay put. But whatever happens with those two guys, looking ahead, do you think Michigan is in pretty good shape for next season with their returning pieces, and that would include the uh, the incoming recruiting class? Yeah, definitely. I think there's, you know, I think there's going to be a, you know, there's there's lots to be looking forward to. I mean, like like you said, I mean, they have one of. Beeline's, Beeline's best recruiting class is coming in. You know what I mean? They got the two Michigan mi- Mr. Basketball finalists, you know, and Brandon Johns from East Lansing and David DeHuyas from East English Prep. Um, they, have, they have plenty coming back. Yeah, I mean, they, they'll have, you know, Isaiah Liversville is back, Xavier Simpson's back. Um, you know, Charles Matthews, I think um, I think most people can probably expect to be back. So, I mean, they'll, they'll return, you know, the majority of their starters. No, I mean, it's kind of the big, the big wild card at this point. And then I mean, obviously they're going to be losing, you know, just three guys for sure. And, uh, and Duncan Robinson, obviously the team's best three point shooter. And then, and then John Simmons, um, you know, the backup point guard. And then, uh, I think the, the, the most difficult guy to replace is going to be Muhammad Ali Abdurrahman mm-hmm. just because, um, I mean, just not, just not for his scoring, but just for everything he did, like all the little things he did, like, you know, just, you know, making the extra pass, you know, just like, you know, setting a, a brush screen to get a guy open. I mean, he just did so many things that kind of goes unnoticed that doesn't go on the stat sheet that, that, that Michigan's going to miss. And he was, he was kind of a glue guy in a sense for this team. And, and I mean, it's always, it's always a hard guy to replace. 
Um, so I think he's going to be the most difficult guy to replace. But I think they have a guy who's going to step in and fill his spot in, in Jordan Poole. I think he, he'll kind of step up and be the starting two next season. But th- there's definitely there's definitely a lot to look forward to with this team. I think there's there's not going to be any sort of drop-off. I don't think there's going to be – I think there's going to be more expectations for this team next season as opposed to there was entering this season, you know, considering who they lost um, and, and who they got coming in. But I think there's there's definitely look forward to plenty to look forward to. And I think this – I mean, you could think that – the there's definitely the programs on an upswing and it's uh, it's on stable ground and I think they're bringing back the most important person of all, which is uh which is Coach John Beeline. Um, I think you know I think uh, with him you know and and who they got I think um, the the foundation's uh, pretty solid for this team moving forward, especially uh, heading into next season. Well, and that's my uh, last question for you, uh, James. Let me play off of that. Uh, Coach B said over and over last week, the Final Four national championship appearances are special. And as he said, you have to enjoy them. But it's the journey together that is the important thing for him. And it's the lasting memory that you'll have with your teammates and your coach. I agree with all of that. That said, he just doesn't look like he's losing his step. The energy's there. Do you see him uh, right now hanging around another four or five years or that, that he's anywhere ready to quit no it's 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 funny because after the i believe it was after the elite elite eight went over florida state where we were, we were talking to him outside outside the locker room he brought up a he brought up a point about how you know they were asking him about reaching the final four again he he said he mentioned that he's no spring chicken but then he mentioned that he, he wasn't going anywhere anytime soon and i think it's at the point where he's kind of i guess maybe earned the right to kind of i guess call it quits whenever he kind of whenever he kind of uh, sees fit. And, you know, one of my coworkers, Bob Wanowski, was talking with uh, athletic director Ward Manuel, you know, about, uh, you know, his contract. Because, I mean, at this point, I mean, you look at what Beeline was making in comparison to, you know, other coaches. I think he's the third highest paid coach in the Big Ten. I think he was – I think this season he was maybe the ninth highest paid coach in the in the nation at, like, $3.7 million. And, I mean, you know, uh, it's kind of – his contract's kind of a bargain for now, but kind of, you know, Ward Manuel was kind of talking about, you know, that – you know, a po- another possible extension is something that he's definitely going to look at, and maybe kind of locking locking Beeline up for for a few more years because I believe his contract runs out in uh, 2021. So that's you know what three four more seasons. Um, but yeah, I definitely think that Beeline doesn't look like he's uh, you know slowing down at all. It looks like he's wearing down at all. I think it's this is something he you know he's done his entire life, and it's you know it's kind of hard to to have someone you know kind of you know, hang it up anytime soon. But I definitely think it's he'll be around for as long as I guess he wants to to stick around. But I think I wouldn't be surprised if uh, you know, an announcement comes out sometime in the near future about, you know, that he possibly gets a, an extension and that he's around for, for a few more seasons because like I said, I think it at this point, I mean, you just look at what he's been able to do with this program. Um the, the, you know, just like the last, you know, five, six seasons, I definitely think it's it's one of those things where it's basically where Beeline has kind of earned kind of the right, I guess, where he can, I guess, call it quits whenever, uh, I guess, he sees fit. Well, my guest today on our game day segment has been beat writer James Hawkins from the Detroit News. Uh, James, I want to thank you for being so gracious with your time this uh, season. Whenever we've asked you to be on, you've uh, gone out of your way to be available for us. Uh, and myself and the listeners, of course, appreciate that. So for now, as we say goodbye with the, uh, with the season, uh, done if anything pops up regarding michigan basketball in the coming months in the off season we'll be sure to get you back so until then again thank you and we look forward to our next visit so take care james all right sounds good it was my pleasure quick hits is next as we wrap it up for another week here on the michigan man 
on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. On Quick Hits today, it's been a crappy weather start for softball and baseball. I think we can all agree on that. But that's Michigan. If you've been here long enough, you know that. We'll probably go from snowy cold weather to 70 and sunny in another week. That's usually what happens. At any rate, number 17 softball is on the road this weekend in Happy Valley against Penn State, led by freshman pitching sensation Megan Bobian, who is 21-2 as of this morning. We are 29-7 overall, 4-1 in Big Ten play. Despite the weather, Coach Eric Bakich and baseball are red hot. They are on a 12-game winning streak to begin the week. This weekend, they are on the road in Evanston for a three-game set with Northwestern, getting Big Ten play underway. With basketball and hockey in the news this month, we haven't had much time to talk football. Not that there's much news coming from spring practice, but in the coming weeks, we'll shift gears and see what's new with Jim Harbaugh and his team. Hopefully, the NCAA will rule on Shea Patterson's eligibility sometime in the next few weeks, too. On next week's show, we'll get a two-for-one. Steve Lorenz from 24-7 Sports will be here for our monthly recruiting update and his thoughts on spring practice. I'll also have April's Michigan Man Extra for you sometime next week. Joining us will be former Michigan standout Mario Ojemudia. We'll talk about his Michigan days, an NFL career that was cut short by injury, and of course get his thoughts on what's happening with our current team and what he thinks of the direction of the program. I will update you next week on what day the Extra will publish. Don't forget our free show app is available from the iTunes and Google Play stores. You can also hear us on iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and Wolverine Sports Radio. That will do it for another edition of The Michigan Man. What a month of March and a start to early April it has been. And what a year for Michigan hoops and hockey. We'll be talking about the final and Frozen Four for years to come. We came up short, but the journey was worth it. Thanks to both teams for a fun winter. As Coach B said on Tuesday, losing hurts, but in the end, it is about the journey and doing it together as a team. I'm just glad we were there for the ride. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Have a great Wolverine weekend, everyone. Until next time, take care, and as always, go blue. Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man, here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. That's themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!